This week on Geek Explained, with last week's episode taking a look at Superman's past, this week's episode is taking a look at Batman's future. So join me as I count down my top 10 episodes of Batman Beyond. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Batman Beyond, the show that, for a lot of people, myself included, was kind of like our Batman. You know, in 1992, when Batman the Animated Series first came out, that was, and I'm, I'm going to be aging myself at this point, um, that was the year that I was born. So even though I was introduced to Batman as Bruce Wayne, um, when I was a kid, Terry McGinnis was my Batman, and this show is 22 years old as of this month, so I thought it would be a cool thing to kind of look back at this iconic series and talk about my top 10 favorite Batman Beyond episodes of all time. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of WandaVision, and of course, this week's comics countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No miscellaneous news this week, so we're going to jump straight into comics news. Two big pieces of comics news from the Marvel side of things. First off, uh, Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, who have been with Venom for... It feels like decades at this point, uh, announced that they are going to be leaving Venom after issue 200, which is supposed to wrap up the entire King and Black storyline. I don't know if it's like, because King and Black is like its own five issue series, and then I think maybe uh, Venom 200 is either going to be the conclusion of that or kind of like an epilogue, but that issue is going to kind of launch Venom into his next um his next era wherever he's going and it's going to wrap up the current era of Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman we don't really know where Stegman is going following this we do know that Donny Cates is still working on Thor and will be for the foreseeable future but this is one of those teams kind of in the vein of a Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo that's been on the character for a while and has really done as much as they can do with this character to try and put their own stamp on his comic book history. So um, it's kind of exciting. I'm following along loosely with King and Black as I make my slow uh, catch up for the... Um, for the uh, series as a whole, I'm slowly catching up on the Venom series, and it's very good. It's it's one of the best Venom series that I've ever read. Um, this team has really put their mark on the Venom character, and it's going to be felt for a really long time. Uh, speaking of great creative teams, uh, we got an interesting announcement this past week. 
If you are a comic book fan of the 90s, if you remember a lot of the major stuff that happened, especially over at Marvel in the 90s, then you might remember a crossover entitled Heroes Reborn. This was a mid-90s, kind of like a New 52 Ultimate Universe um, predecessor trying to shake up and revitalize certain characters that weren't selling very well for Marvel and kind of giving them a new polish. And it was not great. It <laughs> it wasn't, you know, what I would call a hugely successful initiative, but um, that name still carries a lot of weight. So this past week when uh, Marvel put out this little card that said, Heroes Were Born, Whatever Happened to Earth's Mightiest Heroes, May 2021. A lot of people were confused, myself included. Um, were we going to be revisiting the Heroes Reborn universe? Were we going to be doing another like Heroes Reborn level reboot? Uh, but no, in fact, this is going to be the next big crossover event for uh, Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness's Avengers books, or I guess Avengers book. Um, they've been working on the uh they've been basically working on the avengers book since i want to say war of the realms i think that's when they started um and it looks like this is kind of their next big event kind of in the same vein as uh, age of apocalypse because very similarly to that story another seminal 90s marvel crossover um blade wakes up in a world where there were never any avengers and he has to piece together what happened, why this, um, why this world has changed, and what's different about it. So uh, Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis did a whole interview. I'm going to read the synopsis of Heroes Reborn, and it goes like this. Welcome to a world where Tony Stark never built an Iron Man armor, where Thor is a hard-drinking atheist who despises hammers, where Wakanda is dismissed as a myth, and where Captain America was never found in the ice because there were no Avengers to find him. Instead, this world has always been protected by Earth's mightiest heroes, the Squadron Supreme of America. And now the squadron face an attack from some of their fiercest enemies, like Dr. Juggernaut, the Black Skull, the Silver Witch, and Thanos with his Infinity Rings. Blade is the one man alive who seems to remember that the entire world has somehow been reborn. And so begins his search for the cause behind this ominous shift in reality. So yes, very similar to an Age of Apocalypse-style event where essentially we're going to see what the Marvel Universe was like if it was the DC Universe. Because as you know, Squadron Supreme is kind of the Justice League analog for uh, for Marvel, and they get to go up against some really interesting uh, interesting characters. You hear Dr. Juggernaut, which is basically Dr. Doom with the Gem of Sidorak. Um, lots of weird mashups, which I think is interesting and kind of... Um, harkens back not just to the infinity warps that were recent but also the amalgam universe which is um it can't be a coincidence right because they also have the silver witch which looks like um basically them smashing together quicksilver and scarlet witch uh they've got thanos and his infinity rings which seems very similar to thanos with uh the mandarin's 10 rings of power don't know if that's the case but that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what they do with this. Um, I will admit I haven't really been keeping up with uh, with the Jason Aaron Avengers run. I kind of fell off around I think it was Challenge of the Ghost Riders. It just didn't really it didn't really grab me. Um, 
but I'm interested in this. I the Squadron Supreme is a uh, sentimental favorite of mine, and if you would like me to do an episode on them, I would love to do that. Maybe I'll do that closer to around uh around may because they're they're a fun little squad so um yeah that's it for comics news rolling right on to film news uh two pieces of unfortunate delays with when it comes to film news first off the final daniel craig bond film no time to die has been delayed to october 8th of this year but fret not because it gets worse for another film morbius who i know um good brother and friend of the podcast josh from panels to pixels is very very excited about um has been unfortunately delayed to a year from now january 2022 i have no idea why it's been delayed so far besides them probably just wanting to get it into theaters um with hbo max and warner brothers kind of shaking up the way that that movies are released it's it's gonna be a strange time for movies this year next year but in more positive news, a film that will be coming out this year on both uh, HBO Max and in theaters is Godzilla vs. Kong. Godzilla vs. Kong dropped its very first trailer this past Sunday, and I'm going to level with you here. I have no horse in this race. I, I, lo- I really enjoy uh, Godzilla as a concept and as a character. I like King Kong as a character. I enjoyed Kong Skull Island. I even enjoyed the first Godzilla movie. I haven't seen Godzilla King of the Monsters yet, but I, I will definitely do my uh, do my due diligence to get caught up on that. So I don't really have a huge connection to this film, but after watching that trailer, I'm a little hyped. I'm a little bit hyped. I'm very interested to see what they do here. Um, it's a big, dumb blockbuster movie that we need. Uh, it's one of those films that you kind of get excited about. We don't have like big crossovers like this anymore that feel special. And this feels special. It's dumb. It's absolutely dumb. But uh, I'm, I'm actually very excited about it. And I'm going to be checking that out on day one for sure. Uh, also, hashtag Team Call. So that is going to roll us right on to TV news. Last piece of news for uh, this week. We've got four pieces of TV news, all of which, except for one, are Warner Brothers slash HBO Max properties. First off, we're getting another Harry Potter series, or I guess the first Harry Potter series. Uh, it's coming to HBO Max. Uh, from what I've read it isn't very clear on whether this is just going to be a reboot or whether this is going to be more stories set within the world, a la Fantastic Beasts. But I, I don't know. I've Harry Potter was such a huge part of my childhood, but I can't get excited about new stuff about it anymore because of how terrible J.K. Rowling is. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to see what happens there. One thing I am excited about though is Titans. Titans season three. I know, right? Eric's excited about something for Titans. What is the world coming to? But Titans season three has officially cast Barbara Gordon. We knew that she was going to be popping up in this scene in this season alongside the Scarecrow, and they have cast Savannah Welch. I think it's Welch. Might be Welsh. I don't know. But uh, Savannah Welch has been cast as Barbara Gordon. And the thing that's exciting about this is that uh, Savannah Welch is an amputee actress. She is uh, missing one of her legs. So this is assuming we're going to be getting Oracle, the 
Oracle bar- version of Barbara Gordon, which I'm very excited about. We already knew that Red Hood was going to be popping up here, so uh, it I guess it makes sense to place this in that timeline of Barbara Gordon being Oracle. I'm really excited about that. I'm also really excited about them actually casting a disabled actress for this role. So freaking cool, and I can't wait to see what they do with the character. Uh, we also got two big trailers if you're anything like me you were very excited about these first off invincible invincible robert kirkman's um seminal comic that i am reading for the very first time to get uh all caught up before the show drops uh had a big panel um thing that happened uh this past friday and they not only released a big first clip featuring both stephen yoon in the role of mark grayson as well as jk uh simmons in his role as his fault as uh mark's father omni-man uh but we have a release date we finally have a release date and it is march 26th march is a huge month this year okay a lot of stuff is happening in march and i i don't know how to deal with that so uh but i'm very excited about this i love the cast i love the animation I am, I believe, on Volume 7 of Invincible right now, and I'm absolutely loving it, so I cannot wait to see this show. And then finally, on TV news, and to wrap up the entire uh, news segment, we got our very first full trailer for Superman and Lois. That's the new uh, CW Arrowverse show that's coming uh, next month. And it looks really good. I'm baffled at how good this looks. It looks visually distinctive from the Arrowverse, much more cinematic. You can tell that they're really putting their time into this. Um, I I would be remiss, though, if I didn't mention all of the really shady... um, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that's currently going on. There's uh, accusations of uh, racism and a lot of just not savory stuff. So I have to take my excitement for this with a pinch of salt because of all the stuff that's going on with the production of this show. You know me. You know how much I love Superman. If last week's episode wasn't an indication, you know how much I love the character. And I have high hopes for this show, but I... I need to keep in mind all of the uh, very, very just not great stuff that is uh, going on behind the scenes. So uh, fingers crossed that this show is good. I hope it's good, and I hope that things change when it comes to... um, just all the not great stuff that we've heard about. But that is going to wrap up this week's news. And jumping from Superman, speaking of Superman, over to Batman, we're going to roll right on into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is my top 10 favorite episodes of Batman Beyond. So I'm not going to lie, I'm really excited about this. Um, We did an episode, I want to say it was episode, hold on, let me 
episodes it's somewhere in the 70s i think i want to say 75 but um somewhere in there uh we did an episode on my top 10 favorite batman the animated series episodes and i knew when i did that episode that was back in volume two of this podcast uh we're currently in volume three about to wrap up volume three in fact um but I knew when I finished that episode that I was eventually going to do my top 10 favorite Batman Beyond episodes. And here we are. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to listener and good friend of the podcast, Aaron Arancha, who has been waving the Batman Beyond flag by himself for a while now, being a loyal listener and writing in uh, multiple times to talk about Batman Beyond. So Aaron, this one is for you. Thank you very much for constantly giving Batman Beyond the uh, respect it deserves, and I hope I do you proud with this list. So I, um, I'm i going to just put the disclaimer out there right now. I did the same thing for the Batman the Animated Series episode. Um, these are my top 10 favorite episodes. If they, If you disagree, awesome. I would love to hear your list. Feel free to reach out on social media at GeekSplainPod, that's at GeekSplainPod, or through email to GeekSplain at gmail.com. Let me know what your list is. Let me know uh, what you think of my list, if you think I'm totally off base. Um, I want to hear it, and I want to talk to you about this, because Batman Beyond was a huge part of my childhood, and I know it's was a huge part of a lot of people's childhoods. So I cannot wait to have that conversation with you. But that being said, we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to do my best to avoid spoilers because I know that there are some people who have never watched Batman the Animated Series or Batman Beyond. And I want to make sure that I um, am doing my best to give you the information you need to watch these episodes without spoiling the episodes outright. Um, I may not succeed in that, but I'm going to do my best. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. I have them ranked my top 10 episodes of Batman Beyond, and we are going to kick things off with the episode Lost Soul. Uh, this is from season two, episode number four, and this is one of those uh, ghost in the machine style episodes where this uh basically this uh company owner vance wanted to continue past his essentially wanted to maintain control of his company past his death and so he uploaded his consciousness into this uh into this machine and so something like 50 years later um he is woken up by his grandson because he just gained control of the company and he doesn't know what to do so he's asking his grandfather's uh, soul, I guess, uh, what to do. And the grandfather's like, oh, you know, you should just plug me in to, uh, you, you should allow me to access the internet. And immediately that's a red flag. But uh, he does so and terrible things happen following that. But the really interesting part of this episode for me is that this kind of tackles that age-old question of man versus Batman, something that is really unique about uh, Batman Beyond's Batsuit is that it has all of these technological advances, you know, the rocket boots, the enhanced strength, speed, agility, um, basically kind of putting uh, Terry, at least from a uh, power set perspective, pretty far ahead of his predecessor when it comes to, I don't know why I said that's so weird, um, 
basically puts him pretty far ahead when it comes to a base power set ahead of Bruce. And there is, of course, that question, you know, does the bat suit make the man or does the man make the bat suit? And this is one of those fun um, answers to that question, because at a certain point when uh, Batman is trying to defeat Vance, Vance uploads himself into Terry's bat suit and takes control of it. So now it's Terry versus the bat suit, and we are going to have to see what happens uh this this for me is one of those great episodes that really focuses on terry mcginnis as a character you know terry is this scrappy roguelike underdog and i love that aspect of his character and when going up against something with the just unstoppable force that is this bat suit he has to kind of you know outsmart it he has to use his head and so um Bruce to get him ready for this uh, for this battle gives him the uh, utility belt from one of his old bat suits and also gives Terry or Terry takes uh, the mask from Dick's old Nightwing suit. So you know how much I love Nightwing, you know how much I love any kind of reference to it. So Terry with a Nightwing mask and a utility belt against a fully automated bat suit. That's what this episode is about, and I really, really dig it. So that is why it is my number 10. At number 9, we have an episode called The Winning Edge. This is in Season 1, Episode 9, and this is a really... Uh, this is an episode that I always come back to. It I rarely see it on, you know, best episodes or, you know, iconic or um, uh, required watching episodes for this series. But I have a really soft spot for it. And that's because of a couple reasons. First off, um, the premise of this. So the premise of this episode is Terry uh, finds that a classmate is hooked on these things called slappers. And there are these little patches that enhance your strength, your speed, your agility. And upon further digging, we come to find out that uh, they're very similar to uh, an old compound from... Uh, Bruce's time, which is Venom, which makes this a Bane episode. You know how much I love Bane. He's one of, if not my favorite Batman rogue. And I was super excited when I found when watching this for the first time as a kid and realizing, oh my God, it's a Bane episode. It's a Bane episode. And this episode is super cool because not only does it show how, you know, the, um, the drug of Venom has evolved over time. We get to see how it's part of essentially like a drug trafficking ring, how it's being peddled to uh, to high schoolers and kids. And like, it's really, really cool. And I, I love stories that can take that, take premises. And when they jump into a future timeline, they show the progression of time when it comes to, you know, advancements in technology. Um, it's also a great episode about addiction. This was one of my, this was one of my first experiences with, you know, the concept of addiction when I was a kid finding out, you know, about performance enhancing drugs and like how that can become a crutch and how, you know, the, main um the main classmate of terry's who is kind of hooked on these slappers who's named mason uh is becoming uh addicted to them and reliant on them when he's not on the slappers he's like shaky and really like looks super unhealthy and then when you know he he essentially has to use them to get by because he's become so reliant on them and i think it's fascinating and it's an incredibly 
succinct and uh, worthwhile story to be told in a medium like this. This is also a story that I think is one of the best in Batman Beyond because it's so unique to Terry. You know, the, the thing that makes Batman Beyond so different and distinct from Batman the Animated Series isn't just the setting, it isn't just the vernacular used, the slang, but it is the characters, the main characters themselves. Terry McGinnis is a high schooler. You know, the entire premise behind him is like, oh, he's like if Spider-Man was Batman. And I love that premise, and that, you know, allowed me to connect to Terry McGinnis much more than I did to Bruce Wayne, you know, when I was a kid. And so this is a story that you could only tell with Terry. He is a high school kid who is watching his classmates get hooked on a drug, comes to find out that this drug may be connected to an old, uh, an old enemy of Bruce's. And, you know, it just kind of goes from there. You know, th this is a story that I suppose you could tell with uh, Bruce, but it wouldn't be the same. And having an episode like this is a pure and distinct example on why Batman Beyond was such a success as it was, because it was able to tell stories that the original Batman the Animated Series couldn't. So that is why it is on my top 10 list, and that is why it is at number 9. At number 8, we have the episode Meltdown. This is season 1, episode 5, and... It's the Mr. Freeze episode. You know, some of my favorite episodes, and I'm sure many people's favorite episodes from this uh, from this show are episodes that do make callbacks, whether they're small or large, to Batman the Animated Series because it was so iconic and it was so instrumental in setting up that entire DC animated universe. And what this episode does is something that I think should be just kind of uniquely um, attributed to Mr. Freeze as a character, and that is this rule that Bruce Timm more or less instated in that Mr. Freeze can't be a run-of-the-mill, you know, um, punch-out, monster-of-the-week character. His appearances have to be sporadic, and they have to feel special. And this episode is the only Mr. Freeze episode in the entire uh, Batman Beyond series, which I love. Um, and it's also one of, you know, I think just a handful of Mr. Freeze episodes across the entirety of the DCAU, which I also love. You know, this, uh, this universe really was instrumental in rewriting the record books when it came to Mr. Freeze as a character, completely redoing his origin, giving him new pathos, and making him into a Shakespearean tragedy. And this episode is no different. So basically... This is, what, at least 30 years since, you know, we last saw Mr. Freeze during the New Batman adventures. And we find out that as, you know, you come to find out in Batman, the, or Batman, or the new Batman adventures, um, Mr. Freeze is nothing but a head. There's nothing left of him but a head. And so he has been in cryo storage for the last 30 years. And so you get to see, you know, this character who is, um, who has been through so much, just everything, and you get to see him get a second chance. You know, this doctor comes in and is basically like, what if we could upload your consciousness into a new body? And you get to see, you know, hope come back to him. He gets to live a normal life for about half the episode. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but 
terrible things do. This episode is also important because it puts a spotlight on the recurring and kind of the overarching villain of season one, which is Derek Powers. More on him later. But this is where he officially steps into his uh, supervillain role as Blight. It's where he gets his name. This is his first... Um, real uh, one-on-one confrontation with Terry as a villain, and it's just all around. It's a fantastic episode that continues and really concludes the tragedy that is um, Victor Freeze's saga in the DC animated universe. So that is why it is at my number eight. At number seven, we have an episode called Heroes. This is season one, episode number six, the direct next episode after Meltdown. And it's the Fantastic Four episode. I know that sounds weird when I say it, but um, this is an episode that completely riffs off of the idea of the Fantastic Four. Um, I love stuff like this. You know, th- we talked about it earlier in the episode, the Squadron Supreme being a very clear uh, homage, if not a full-on ripoff of the Justice League. And so when they're able to kind of trade stuff like this back and forth between uh, the big two, I love stuff like this. So basically, uh, Terry comes to find out that there is a new super team in Gotham, and they are the Terrific Trio. Um, essentially, they all of your favorite uh, Fantastic Four characters are there. We have your Mr. Fantastic analog. We have your Invisible Girl analog. And they kind of combine Human Torch and Thing into one like molten rock monster but it's a really fun premise and it shows you know it's essentially it's a tale of betrayal it's a story of you know what happens when an obsession goes too far uh and it's also a really interesting episode for where it puts terry terry for the first time in the series kind of has to look at what the characters you know or what life would be like if his um if his batman was as beloved as other heroes in that universe. You know, there's a, he's talking to a guy at one point who's just like, you know what, I'm just glad that there are heroes that we can be proud of here in Gotham. And it really hits him. It really bothers him. And I love stories like that. You know, Terry all, always has to be, you know, fighting from underneath Bruce's shadow. But in stories like this, he also has to grapple with what he is going to make the mantle of Batman and how he is going to write his own legacy with the character and with that role. So overall, a fantastic, you know, one-off episode featuring some fun uh, Marvel ripoffs that I think is definitely worth the time. So that is why it is at number seven. At number six, we have the episode Shriek. Now this is up, this is season one, episode seven. So we're going... Uh, from uh, our eight, seven, and six spots, we've got episode five, episode six, and episode seven of season one. Season one is, I think, pound for pound the best of the three seasons, um, just for how strong all the stories are, the quality all the way through. Um, and it's also a uh, really a season where the storytelling was at the forefront you can kind of see a tonal shift in season two and season three where they go for more i would say kid-friendly-esque stories um not always true but they definitely leaned into the more fantastical um 
uh, more fantastical elements in the latter two seasons, where season one was very much about the noir thriller stories. So uh, this episode is no different, because this episode is a super cool uh, villain origin for the character Shriek. Um, I believe his real name is Max Shreve, and he's a sound engineer working for uh, Derek Powers, who comes up with this suit that is able to use sonic vibrations to create to basically blow stuff up, to uh, mess with the equilibrium of people. And uh, Derek Powers basically says, oh, I can use this to get Bruce Wayne out of the way of the company so that I can take full control. And so the entire episode is based around Shriek trying to take out Bruce Wayne. Uh, Bruce gets hospitalized at one point, and because of manipulations in the sound waves, uh, he keeps hearing a voice that is slowly making him go crazy, so he's out of commission. And Terry is really having to go up against you know, these characters on you know, this villain on his own without any help. And the thing that always gets me about this episode is the silent sequence, which was, at least for me, it was revolutionary at the time. You know, part of uh, Shriek's ability to, you know, basically his mastery over sound is that he's able to use a device to cancel all the wavelengths going on in the immediate vicinity of him. So they're fighting in a, uh, a factory warehouse, and he basically just turns off the sound. And you don't realize how much of your life is dictated by what you can hear until it's taken away. Like, there, there's an entire sequence where Terry essentially has to survive uh, being pushed around through... Uh, through factory machinery and when you can't hear it when you don't have that audible cue you know it throws off your whole sense of self and i love love that sequence whenever they try something new like this something that you know i had never seen before super cool villain origin with a really cool design very sleek very futuristic looking and it also gives us one of my favorite uh bruce wayne moments in the entire show which is him basically um you know after they figure out that you know the uh voice that was uh, manipulating him was basically this uh, microchip that they had attached to his head and was feeding him, you know, this uh, the subliminal suggestion. You know, he tells Terry at the very end, he's like, I knew that, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't my voice. You know, Terry's like, how did you know you weren't going crazy? And he's like, because the voice kept calling me Bruce. That's not what I call myself. And I, I love that. And not just that, but the rest of that exchange basically goes like, Terry's like, what? Oh, of course you would. But hey, just so you know, I'm Batman now. And Bruce says, you know, tell that, basically says, tell that to the, mo- the voices in my head. So I just, I love this episode. Like I said, it's a great uh, villain origin. The episode really uh, goes places that you don't expect it to. And it's just a great episode that really, uh, helps Terry to stand on his own away from Bruce while also hearkening back to why Bruce Wayne is such a cool and compelling character. So that is why it is at my number six. At number five, we are jumping from season one all the way to the final season, season three, with the episode The Call. You knew it had to be somewhere on this epi- on this list. It is in the top five. It is my number five. And it is season three, episodes seven and eight. This is a big two-parter, and this is a Justice League thriller. 
Uh, this is the actually this is the debut of the Justice League in the DCAU because Justice League, um, the Justice League animated series wouldn't pop up until I believe uh, 2001. 2002 around there but um this is such a cool episode you know we get to see the justice league beyond or at in as they're referred to in this episode justice league unlimited which eventually you know they would catch up to as a name but it's so freaking cool because at this point you know we have that batman series we have a superman series and you kind of get to see what ended up happening to superman following batman getting old you know we show that he's not aging as much as bruce is we get to see a whole new justice league with aqua girl warhawk new green lantern barda barda you know shows up in the dcau before wonder woman which i think is just crazy but it's a really cool episode because you get to see terry kind of step up and step into the big leagues and we get to see you know bruce and clark are kind of not exactly on great uh on great terms. I believe it's uh, Christopher McDonald plays uh, Superman in this, which is really weird seeing, you know, the design that I'm so used to um, being voiced by either uh, Tim Daly or George Newbern. Uh, but Christopher McDonald, I believe, voiced uh, Jor-El in the Superman the Animated Series. So it's it kind of makes sense, I guess, for an older Superman to sound that way. But uh, it's really cool. And the story, as we come to find out, centers on the idea that there is a traitor in the Justice League and Superman has enlisted Batman Beyond to try and root that out. And as we come to find out, there may or may not be some Starro involvement. You know how much I love Starro. It's such a dumb character, but I really enjoy this episode. This is this goes a long way to show the wider universe, not just where Gotham is at. And so I really dig this. It's a great two-parter episode, and it's exactly what you would want from a um from a Justice League Batman Beyond episode. So that is why it is at my number five. At number four, we have a personal favorite of mine, which is Once Burned. This is season two, uh, episode number seven, and this is the second of the um, of the Royal Flush Gang trio of episodes, or the Ten Trilogy that I call it. Um, and it's kind of it's weird to talk about it without trying without spoilers when i'm gonna do my best since this is part two of the story but uh i will just say that just as a blanket statement the royal flesh gang episodes are some of if not the best that this show has to offer anytime that they are brought in i always get excited and i would always get excited watching it week to week uh when i was a kid but basically 10 who is you know an old flame of terry's shows back up because she is trying to um rob a she's trying to rob this really high stakes uh poker game by some of the biggest criminal heads in uh neo gotham and it's very catwoman which i think is an apt uh comparison especially with an episode that we're going to talk about later but um it's a great episode that really uh i think not a lot of people remember or talk about, which is a shame because it has one of the best. There, there is a uh, mid-episode twist that really just still knocks my socks off. I watched it again uh, just to, you know, kind of refresh my memory before I 
recorded this episode and watching the 10 trilogy is still just such a great uh, progression of time and this episode still floored me because i'd forgotten the twist it's so good this episode also puts a big spotlight on the jokers which is such a dumb uh concept but i love it again basically a gang of joker worshiping hooligans uh but it's a great episode that explores the lengths that terry is willing to go for the people he cares about and it's a fantastic episode that um features one of my favorite characters in the entirety of the show so that is why it is at my number four and is an episode that i always recommend at number three we have out of the past this is Season 3, Episode 5. And this is an episode that really gets to the heart of what it means to be Batman and the toll that it takes on someone. Because as we come to find out in this episode, Bruce is kind of struggling with being old, which I guess is kind of a basic and duh obvious premise. But it's really interesting because you take a character like Bruce Wayne, who is, you know, for many people, just perpetually Batman. And you put him in a situation that we've never seen before is in that he actually grows old. He is unable to be Batman anymore. And so you get to see him actually finally grapple with that. You know, we had gotten episodes like Disappearing Ink, which is an honorable mention, um, kind of dealing with his heart problems, the fact that he's, you know, old now and he can't really... He doesn't really have it anymore. He's still, as we come to see in uh, other stories, he's still got it to a certain degree. He can still sling a batarang with the best of them, but he is dealing with his mortality in this episode. He's dealing with growing old. There's also the episode starts off with an amazing musical uh, based around Batman the Animated Series where they've got the, you know, a superstitious cowardly lot song. Um... It's so dumb and it's so fun. And I love episodes that do this. You know, that's something that I love with the uh, the Ember Island players from Avatar The Last Airbender. You know, when you get to see the exploits of your main character through the eyes of the public, it's just so fun. And basically what happens is this episode puts a spotlight on the lost loves of Bruce Wayne while he's dealing with his mortality, his feebleness. He's going through, you know, what everybody does sometimes and he goes through old photos of uh past flames you know we see uh lois lane we get to see selena kyle and that's it we don't see anyone else we certainly don't see barbara gordon because it doesn't mm, i have major problems with that um but he is joined in the cave by talia al ghul who makes her first reappearance since uh the new adventures of batman and she offers him a lazarus pit so we get to see the premise go from there whether he takes it whether he doesn't take it him struggling with you know whether he believes he is he has earned the right to use the lazarus pit with another show-stopping uh twist near the end of the episode that i remember when i first watched that i distinctly remember watching this as a kid and jumping out of the couch at the reveal to this episode such a cool episode also getting to see terry work with bruce side by side for a little bit is fun and it goes a long way to show the kind of stories you can tell when you take a character and you allow them to grow beyond our ideas or expectations of them so overall one of the best episodes in the entire series and a very welcome and earned spot at number three on my list 
so I'm just going to say for these, for my top two, I went back and forth on these two episodes, whether I was going to put, you know, where I was going to put the two of them. And it went back and forth probably two or three times, but settling on it, um, after much reflection, rewatching both of the, uh, both of the episodes in question, Number two is Dead Man's Hand. This is ep- this is season one, once again, episode number eight. L- let me look at this. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, but season one, episode eight, Dead Man's Hand. This is the episode that introduces us to this version, this iteration of the Royal Flush Gang. If you are not familiar with the Royal Flush Gang, they are basically a playing card tray or playing card game themed gang. That was really difficult to say. Um, based upon, you know, your classic uh, king, queen, ace, ten, and jack, um, they're a family unit. Every generation has a different um, royal flesh gang. We would come to, you know, see a prior version of the royal flesh gang in, I don't believe they're in Batman the Animated Series, but they were in Justice League the Animated Series. But this episode introduces us not just to the Royal Flush Gang, but also Melanie Walker. One of, and I bear no shame in saying this, one of my very first crushes as a kid on a fictional character. We've all had them. And Melanie Walker was one of my first. Um, Melanie Walker comes in right around the time that uh, Terry is kind of on the outs with Dana. We all know that Dana's his soulmate, but they are dealing with all of the stuff that you wouldn't think of when it comes to being Batman. You know, when you think of the kind of personal toll that being Batman takes on, you know, on the person who holds the mantle, you know, you think of Bruce Wayne, you know, giving up his his nights, you know, trying to make the world a better place, but really, you know, having to keep up this facade as playboy billionaire Bruce Wayne. With Terry McGinnis, it's a little different because he is still going to high school. He's still um, growing as a person. He has friends. He has family to deal with. And this is an episode that is keenly aware of how different Terry is from Bruce. He's having to deal with all the stuff that, again, to make the comparison, Peter Parker has to deal with when he's Spider-Man, juggling, you know, all of the responsibilities that he has and dropping the ball in some of them. You know, this is an episode where uh, he is, you know, he's late to a date with Dana and Dana is basically like, I expected at this point, they have a fight, they break up. And then Terry runs into Melanie Walker, who is this, you know, complete just enigma of a character, but immediately catches his eye because they are very similar in a lot of ways, dealing with uh, responsibility in their lives, not being sure if they want to deal with that responsibility, kind of feeling alone and different, and they uh, find that they are kindred spirits. And you come to find out that Melanie is 10 in the Royal Flesh Gang, the youngest member, um, and it just kind of escalates from there. Uh, this episode also features some incredible 90s cheese. You know, there's a moment where... Um, in 
all of those, you know, 80s and 90s rom-coms. You know, you've got kind of the power ballad music going on as Terry rushes to meet Melanie at the clock tower as it's raining. He's late. We know that they're both going to be late because they were previously part of a fight where the Royal Flesh Gang was fighting uh, Batman. And they escape. Terry, you know, re- you know, is able to apprehend one of their members. But then as he's, you know, running to the spot, he realizes he's late again and you know like i said the power ballad music's going the rain's falling and he walks away you know having succumbed to always being late and always missing out when melanie comes running in the rain because she was late too because of the fight and they embrace it's incredibly cheesy but i love it so much i you don't understand how much i love it um it's such a great episode that you know deals with the duality of the character deals with terry mcginnis and why he's so different from bruce they have a falling out where terry is realizing you know how much he has to give of himself to be part of bruce's war and the idea that maybe it's not something that he wants maybe it's not something that he is willing to sacrifice his entire life for they have a huge fight where he's like you know you just want me to end up you know sad angry and alone like you are and then he does that like he's like you just want me to be sad angry and alone like you and then he just runs away like an angsty teenager it's just again it is everything that i love about the character it's everything i love about the show and it's everything i love about these kind of superhero stories the melodrama of it all um and it also like i said it goes to the um it gets right to the heart of why terry mcginnis works as a character why he's so compelling and why he's so different from bruce because you take a character who is so um likable and so relatable and you put this mantle on him which almost feels too heavy to bear and you get to see how that shakes out there's also a lot of allusions to um, how similar this is to a situation with Bruce with Selena Kyle. It's one of my favorite endings to an episode is, you know, Terry, after finding out about Melanie being 10, he goes to Bruce at the very end of the episode. And he's like, I just, I didn't, has anything like this ever happened to you? And there's this pause where Bruce just kind of, you know, smirks and he chuckles to himself and he, you know, takes uh takes terry away and he's like let me tell you about a woman named selena kyle and it's just it's perfect it's absolutely this is a perfect batman beyond episode i know you know i shouldn't throw you know i shouldn't throw words like that out so willy-nilly but this is in my opinion in my book the perfect batman beyond episode it has everything you want it's got action it's got melodrama it's got terry versus bruce it's got callbacks to the original series and it also is so distinctly batman beyond so um maybe it's my favorite episode maybe it is like i said i went back and forth on these but um it is an incredible episode it's the very start of the 10 trilogy um and it's just an incredible episode so so good but it's not number one maybe it is but in this specific episode as i'm recording this uh it sits at the number two spot it's like a 1b like it's our number one is 1A, this is 1B, they're tied most times, but you could go either way on this. But, the number one episode on my list as of this recording, and the episode that I think encapsulates everything that 
could be for Batman Beyond is, of course, Rebirth. These are the very first two episodes of the series, Season 1, Episode 1, and Episode 2. And they are, for my money, the best Batman Beyond story that the series ever told. And it's the Batman Beyond episode that you want to introduce people to. Like, if someone has, you know, never seen Batman Beyond before, they don't know anything about it, they just know um, it comes after Batman the Animated Series, this is the episode to recommend. Because it gives you everything you need. It's the start. I'm also, I'm one of those people I like to go chronologically. But beyond that, this is a perfect Batman Beyond story because it gives you everything you need to know. You know, the episode is all about the progression of time. It's about the DCAU's future. It goes to show just how much can change in a Batman-less Gotham. And it's got three very distinct acts that are incredible to watch. Uh, the first act is the prologue. This is showing probably like 10 or 20 years in the future. Um, of the current DCAU timeline, and it shows an older Batman. It shows an older Bruce, probably in his you know mid fifties at this point, still being Batman. He's a little he's a little bulkier, but he's got the new bat suit, and he is you know trying to stop a crime. He's trying to save a girl from um, uh, from her kidnappers, and during the you know just a routine crime that he is you know the kind that he's stopped so many times over the course of his life he has a heart attack and it's just oh i remember watching this for the first time and being floored by this you know bruce wayne has a heart attack you know it's so inherently human and such a such an incredibly vulnerable state that it puts him in that he is he has to resort to brandishing a uh, a gun that's on the ground to get the guy to um, run away from him. And it's, I will never forget the moment when he steps out after the cops have showed up, they've rescued the girl. He pulls the mask off and he looks at the gun in his hand and his hands are shaking and he's horrified at what, at what he's become. He's horrified at the fact that he had to use something that he's hated for his entire life and will always hate. He hates guns. I don't care what anyone says. Batman has a policy against guns. That's just what it is. Um, and he drops it to the ground, and the very next shot is him in the Batcave, you know, putting the Batsuit away, and he goes up to the Batcave, you know, the entrance, and he says, never again. And he shuts the lights off. And that is an incredible start to this new era of Batman, and everything that you could want for an epilogue to the... Um, to the DCAU beyond the actual epilogue episode, which is its whole other can of worms. But it's such a great uh, introduction to this story. And then in Act 2, you know, we're introduced to Terry McGinnis, our lead, our hero, our Peter Parker, who is dealing with the both shui and not-so-shui future that is Neo-Gotham. Um, he's... He's quippy, he's clever, he's scrappy, and he's everything you would want as a character to completely be opposite from Bruce. And it makes him so dynamic and so fun to watch. Um, and the first part of this, because it's a two-part episode, Terry never puts on the suit. 
the balls on the production team to have an entire episode go by and Terry doesn't wear the suit once. So great in being able to establish this character, being able to get us invested in him and want want us to see him in the suit. Um, Terry is a you know, a normal kid. He's got a little brother. He's got two parents immediately different from Bruce. And, um, through means of, uh, corporate espionage, um, some things getting seen by the wrong people, his father's killed by the Joker's gang because of a, of him finding out about this super shady deal going on within Wayne Powers, which is another change. Uh, Bruce Wayne's company, Wayne Corps, it, has been merged with, um, I think it's Powers Limited, something like that. But now it's Wayne Powers, and uh, Bruce is juxtaposed by uh, Derek Powers, who is kind of running the day-to-day at the company. And so there's some shady business going on. You know, there's a nerve gas that is causing people to, you know, die horrible deaths. And in an attempt to cover it up, you know, Derek Powers has Terry's father killed. And this spirals off, you know, with Terry getting the proof of the nerve gas, bringing it to Bruce. And as we come to find out, you know, this is uh, a tale as old as time. Tragedy leads to Batman. All roads lead to Batman. Um, Terry steals the suit. He goes out on the town. We get to see how much Gotham has changed. Now it's Neo-Gotham, very Blade Runner-esque visuals, technology, and vernacular. And we also get to see how time has not been very kind to Bruce Wayne. This was the first time, at least for me, that I got to see old man Bruce Wayne. You know, I was a kid, I, I was I was a dumb kid who hadn't read Dark Knight Returns yet, and I didn't know how compelling an old Bruce could be as a character. And watching this old man, this old, bitter, angry old man, um, all alone in Wayne Manor with Ace uh, as his only friend, it's it's sad and it's very uh, sobering to see where he ended up in his pursuit of his war on crime. And you get to see uh, two forces, two dynamic villainous forces set up in this in in this introduction to the world with both Derek Powers, who would later on, as we talked about, become Blight, as well as the Joker's gang, uh, which... I always loved, I loved the concept of the Joker's gang because of course, of course they would take someone who, you know, is just the worst and try to make him into a symbol, into a martyr. So um, really cool stuff. Also gives Terry um, henchmen to fight. Also gives him, you know, mini bosses before he gets to the big boss. Um, And Terry, you know, fits the role like a glove. He becomes Batman in this episode. I will never forget the chills. I still get chills watching the episode now where he is fighting with, uh, I believe it's Mr. Fix, who is, you know, they're fighting aboard this... um, this transport for the nerve gas. And he, you know, Mr. Fix says, you're pretty strong for some clown who thinks he's Batman. And Terry's look at him where he goes, I am Batman. It is that flashpoint moment where Terry McGinnis goes from being just a kid into becoming a full-fledged 
superhero. This is the moment, you know, this is his I am vengeance, I am the knight. This is his moment where he takes the mantle and he becomes Batman. Uh, the the episode itself, you know, kind of ends on a very um, a very different note for Batman stories up to that point. You know, Terry is still with his mom and his little brother, who are still alive. And uh, Bruce Wayne, as an old man in his public persona, shows up to uh, their apartment and tells, you know, basically extends an offer of employment so that, you know, Terry will have an alibi to being Batman as essentially Bruce Wayne's personal secretary. Um, and the moment where, you know, Bruce extends his hand. He's like, well then, Mr. McGinnis, welcome to my world. And just the, oh, the theme kicks on with that. It's just, it's so cool. It is an incredible introduction to the world, an incredible introduction to the characters, and really gets you into the zone of being behind Terry McGinnis as Batman. He's not just a kid playing dress up. He is the Batman for a new generation. And that is the start of him being such an iconic character to this day, 22 years on, he is still an iconic character who is just as much Batman as Bruce Wayne is. So that is my top 10 Batman Beyond episodes. As a quick recap, at number 10, I've got Lost Soul. Number 9, The Winning Edge. Number 8, Meltdown. Number 7, Heroes. Number 6, Shriek. Number five, The Call. Number four, Once Burned. Number three, Out of the Past. At number two, slash 1B, uh, Dead Man's Hand. And at number one, slash 1A, Rebirth. Now, as I'm looking at it, we've got one, two, uh, three, four, five, six out of the ten are all from season one. Um, which I think just really goes to show how strong this show was, you know, right out the gate. Um, not to say that the other two seasons are bad, far from it, um, but this is, an, this is a show that you should absolutely take the time to watch if you haven't. And if you have, rewatch it again. Watch these 10 episodes, you know. Give me your lists. I want to hear them too. You know, it's it's so funny looking back on how iconic this version of the character is and how, you know, there are whispers now of a of an animated film, a continuation of Batman the Animated Series even going on. And for me, even though Bruce Wayne has been Batman for a very long time, we've had other characters in the role, Dick Grayson, uh, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne, all of these characters have always, you know, have been Batman. But for me, for my money, Terry McGinnis is Batman. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing episode three of WandaVision entitled Now in Color. That's right. We finally got some uh, episode titles. The episodes have been updated on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the first episode is now entitled Filmed Before Live Studio Audience. And episode two is entitled Don't Touch That Dial. Now, this episode is just 
oh, it's so good. It's probably the best out of the first three, I would say, with not just the premise, but also the peeks into the wider story that is being told across this show. Um, this is the episode that jumps into the 70s. We get 70s vibes here, riffing off shows like Brady Bunch, Good Times, Mary Tyler Moore Show, and it's so good. It's so good just seeing them. Uh, the title sequence is fun and very 70s. Um, the commercial that we got for this week, I'll be doing like a quick little, this is the commercial, um, continues on the thread of the influences of Wanda's life being brought into um, brought into this reality, question mark, of whatever this is. Uh, this commercial was for Hydra Soak Bath Powder. So we're continuing on the thread with episode one being a Stark invention, Stark uh, being the inventor of the missile that killed her family. Episode two was the Strucker watch that, you know, represents uh, Baron Strucker, the person who recruited her and her brother to be part of the experiments that gave them their powers. And with episode three, with Hydra, this is where they... Um, basically where they were experimented on, given their powers, and where their story truly began in the film Avengers Age of Ultron. So I love this through line that they're carrying throughout the uh, commercials of this show, and I can't wait to see the other commercials that pop up in all the future episodes as well. But this episode uh, kicks things off with Wanda, just like the end of the last episode, Wanda's pregnant. Um, she is kind of dueling with Vision on what to name their child, Billy or Tommy, which, for those of you who are fans of Young Avengers, uh, Children's Crusade, uh, all of that stuff should made, should have made your ears perk up. I know they did mine. Um, Billy and Tommy, of course, are the names of uh, Wiccan and Speed, the supposed children of Wanda and the Vision that were reincarnated uh, following the events of her just complete and total breakdown. Um, but this episode really goes a long way to show the cracks in the facade that is this idyllic, uh, West, Westview, Westfield, I think it's Westview, um, neighborhood. You know, we get to see there's a point where, uh, Herb, their neighbor, is, you know, cutting his hedges and he starts just, like, cutting through the, uh, the wall separating his, uh, yard from the visions. And it's this weird, like, glitching out like what's going on he seems to be in control of his movements which is very odd and then later on uh agnes shows up in a very um a very reduced role especially when you consider how uh central she was to the first two episodes she only shows up in this one scene uh during you know after wanda goes into labor and vision is like trying to figure out what the hell's going on um he sees, you know, Herb and Agnes acting a little suspect, you know, talking about they they have a very uh, vested interest in Geraldine and her being part of uh, Wanda's life. Uh, we also get to see, you know, Wanda's power overload. You know, when she goes into labor, her powers are going on the fritz, causing like raining indoors, you know, doors and pots and pans to fly open and fly all around the room. Um, and it's starting to show, you know, that something, you know, again, perpetuating this idea that something's wrong. And what I really dug about this episode was the subtle horror elements. Um, the Nielsen's, the doctor that is uh, 
eventually able to help deliver uh, Wanda's twins. Uh, Geraldine uh, Geraldine is able to help deliver Tommy, and then uh, I'm assuming Dr. Nielsen delivers Billy. So she does end up having twins, again, furthering along the ideas that uh, Speed and Wiccan are on their way, and continuing my theory that we're going to be getting Young Avengers slash Champions very soon on Disney+, Plus once all of these shows have, uh, have gone online. But at the end of the episode, because... Basically, what happens is at the start of the episode, uh, Dr. Nielsen is like, yeah, I'm going, you know, on a vacation with my wife. And right as they're about to leave, you know, is when Vision shows up. He's like, my wife's in labor. We got to go. And at the end, you know, Vision's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, may- hey, maybe you can start your uh, your vacation now. And uh, Dr. Nielsen says something very uh, telling where he's like, yeah, it's it's basically, you know, like like we're not allowed to leave. And he gives this knowing look to Vision, and he kind of walks away. Um, just, ugh, just, ugh. Uh, the most unsettling part for me was the skip back. There's a moment when, you know, after Vision has, you know, talked to Herb and Agnes, he's talked to Dr. Nielsen, he's like, there's something wrong. And he, like, goes to Wanda, he's like, I, I think something's wrong. Like, I don't know what's happening, but something is off here. And then it just skips back to like 30 seconds and he's just like like nothing happened and he's just like talking about something else like oh it made my skin crawl i was not ready for that it just oh i'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it it was so unsettling and i just like i something's happening wanda is starting to lose it she's starting to lose her grip on this perfect reality she's created for herself um and that, you know, kind of comes to a head with Geraldine. Uh, Geraldine pops back up during this episode, and she's talking to her, you know, following uh, the birth of the twins. And she starts talking about, like, mention, like, oh, you know, twins and stuff. And Wanda goes, I'm a twin. And it's, like, the first time that we've really heard her talk about Pietro since Age of Ultron. You know, she kind of mentions, like, I had a twin. My brother, he died. Um... His name was Pietro and her accent like comes back a little bit, which I love. I know a lot of people, I mean, myself included, have talked about over the years, like her diminishing accent, but I really dug her accent showing back up during this moment because, uh, Geraldine goes like, Oh, he was killed by Ultron. Wasn't he? Like she's probing, like she's, she's asking questions. She knows the answers to, but it's like, she's trying to, um, uh, figure out how much Wanda is in control of herself. And Wanda goes, what did you say? And again, skin crawled. I was like, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. Um, and you see kind of, and I didn't even notice it until just now where, or at this point in the episode when she's like, what is that on your necklace? And her necklace is the sword logo. And it's like, oh God. And then, oh my God. And then, you know, we get a cutback to Vision coming in and Wanda's just sitting with the twins and Geraldine's gone. Like she is gone. And again, I just, oh, made my skin crawl. You know, Vision was like, oh, where's Geraldine? And she's like, she left suddenly. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. She killed her. She like, she just, 
just really, really cool, really great moment. And then as we see, Geraldine gets flung out of the Westview community. She just splats on the ground like Wanda used her abilities to chuck her out of this reality. And we see that Westview is under surveillance. There's some kind of like barrier there. Uh, So this is a legitimate neighborhood, but Wanda's doing something or someone's doing something. They, They want to they want you to think, you know, oh, who's doing this to you? Um, but I, I mean, come on, <laughs> but I really liked the, uh, showing, showing the outside and showing, you know, swords showing up, Geraldine's still alive, thankfully. And we get this shot like panning up showing that Westview is, has this kind of like shimmering, uh, wall around it so really really cool um also i want to give a quick uh shout to matt draper who on twitter mentioned uh that no one has made the connection between westview and pleasant hill which i didn't but i think is an inspired poll um for those of you who aren't aware of pleasantville or pleasant hill uh that was a store that was a place during the standoff story um in the Avengers where essentially S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, more Maria Hill uh, constructed this uh, false neighborhood called Pleasant Hill and used the uh, used the character Kobik, who was the sentient cosmic cube, to rewrite the history of the villains that resided in it, turning them into just regular people. So I think if there is a even a slight possibility that they are pulling that uh, for this inspired if they're combining pleasant hill with house of m um they are doing the lord's work with this show and this episode really went a long way to continue that um uh to continue that intrigue and continue and further that mystery i have no idea what's going on but i cannot wait to find out so uh tune in next week with me as we're going to be talking about uh episode four of wandavision but for now we're going to roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comiXology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, the book that kind of stood head and shoulders above the rest was Superman Worlds of War number one. This had, um, I believe, four four different stories in it uh, comprised of a Clark Kent story, a Midnighter story, a Mr. Miracle story, and a Black Racer story. And for once, I was equally invested in all four of the stories. I really, really dug them. Um, I would say if I had to pick one that was the weakest, it would probably be the Midnighter story. But um, honestly, none of them were bad. And I... I like this, the way that they set this issue up with it being like, you know, years have passed and now Smallville is essentially this tourist trap where, you know, people go and they peddle like scripture of Kal-El by taking, you know, some of his old like school essays and like treating them as gospel like it's fascinating to read through and then come to find out that superman or clark has been 
just on War World as a gladiator. I'm super into this story, and I can't wait to see where they go next with it. But that's last week's books. Let's talk about this week. This week, once again, we've got a big workload. We've got 11 books. We'll be talking about each book's title, creative team, and synopsis. And of course, each synopsis will get my synopsis voices. So um, let's just go ahead and dive into it. we got a lot to cover. So we're kicking things off with... Future State Suicide Squad, number one. This is written by Robbie Thompson and Jeremy Adams with art by Fernando Pazarin and Javier Fernandez. Um, This is... Okay, so this is one that I was very interested in by its premise, and um, let's let's just go ahead and dive into it. So, kicking things off, here is the synopsis. Suicide Squad, part one. Slash Black Adam Part 1 The Suicide Squad enters the future state era as Amanda Waller uses Task Force X to save the world and remake it in her image. But what happens when the team shows up to stop her? And in the second story in this extra-sized issue, Black Adam, the immortal one-time champion of the wizard Shazam, rules the planet Kondok in the 853rd century. Can he save the future from a threat rooted in the past? So yeah. I am super into this, especially looking at the cover. The cover is showing like an Earth 3 style Justice League. Um, in the back floating there, I have to assume that's our boy Connor Kent. I don't know what's happening with this, but I'm very, very excited. So definitely pick this one up. Uh, next up, we have The Other History of the DC Universe number two. This is written by John Ridley with art by Andrea Cucci and um, Giuseppe Camincoli. I'm sorry. Um, but I really dug the first uh, the first issue focusing on Black Lightning. And this one seems like it's going to be focusing on Bumblebee and Harold. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Before the new Teen Titans, there were the original Teen Titans. In the tumultuous 1970s, in an America that was very different than today, but in many ways all too familiar. The trials and tribulations of these young heroes were witnessed by two of DC's first black superheroes, Karen Beecher Duncan, better known as Bumblebee, and Mal Duncan, even if their versions of events are often at odds. And across that decade, they fought for their seats at the Titans' table while joining the battle against injustice. So I really like this. I love the premise of the story that we're taking the events that Everyone knows, but putting them through a new lens. I will say that it's much more like a novel, like a short novel than a comic book per se. But um, in this, you know, kind of oversized um, magazine style format, I think it really works. It's really, at least the first issue was really good, and I can't wait to pick this one up. Next up, we have Future State Batman Superman number one. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Ben Oliver. This is, I guess, technically the start of the Jean Lun Yang Batman Superman era, just like last week's Superman uh, Worlds of War was the start of the uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson Superman era. But I'm very excited about this. I'm excited anytime Jean Lun Yang gets to write Superman, but. This story, especially in the framing of uh, Future State, I think is really, really interesting. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Back in the early days of the Magistrate's occupation of Gotham City, Bruce Wayne found himself pushed to the edge like never before. So calling the Men of Steel in for backup makes sense, right? Wrong! Gotham's sinister overlords have already sprung their ultimate trap on the last son of Krypton, and with Kryptonian power at your command, no one can stand in your way! And, where on earth did Professor Pig get a kryptonite scalpel? Brace yourselves, because things are going to get gross in the caverns below Gotham. So... Lot to unpack there. Uh, Batman Superman, of course. Professor Pig. I love Professor Pig. Uh, he is a stupid Batman villain, but I love him so much. And he has a kryptonite scalpel, which is bad news for literally everyone. So uh, definitely pick this one up. Uh, this is, I think, going to go at least some way, hopefully, fingers crossed, at kind of filling in the blanks that we are um, unfortunately left with with the first uh month of future state next up we have strange academy number seven this is written by scotty young with art by umberto ramos i've been really enjoying strange academy and last issue left off with a huge cliffhanger that i've been waiting what feels like forever to get a resolution to so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here the first arc ended in loss, but teeters on the edge of tragedy. There are some that Strange cannot save, but can he minimize the graves they'll have to dig on campus? All this and a huge secret of the Strange Academy is revealed. So yeah, um, lots of stuff has been going down. Um, like I said, last issue had a heartbreaking, heartbreaking uh, conclusion cliffhanger, and I cannot wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Future State Superman vs. Imperious Lex number one. Uh, this is written by Mark Russell with art by Steve Pugh. Um, I'm very interested in this because I don't know literally anything about it, but the cover is so interesting and I can't wait to just check out this premise. So let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Welcome to Lexor, home of the greatest businessman in the multiverse, Lex Luthor. After years of prosperity, Lex's utopia is at last ready to join the ranks of the United Planets and promote peace among worlds. However, Lex has never done anything unless he had something to gain from it. What could he be up to this time? Sounds like a job for Superman and his wife, Lois Lane, the Earth representative to the UP. It's time the Man of Steel shut down this former Metropolis magnate once and for all. So I love the propaganda style like cover on this. And I don't know, I'd have to double check where in the future state timeline this takes place. But I, I've been waiting to see where Lex has been this whole time. So I can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number five, written by Jean Lun Yang once again, with art by Philip Tan and DK Ruan. Um, this book's been great. This is the final chapter of the limited series, unfortunately, but uh, it's been so great so far, and I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Brothers and Sisters, Part 5. The Grand Finale. Sister Hammer launches her final attack on the Western world with her army of vampires. Will Shang-Chi and his family be able to stop her? And will Shang-Chi finally accept the destiny laid out by his father? So, 
Shang-Chi and the rest of his family versus zombie vampires. What what more could you want? Um, again, very excited about this. If you are um, not super familiar with Shang-Chi, I think this series does a really good job in getting you all the information you need, kind of giving you the basic the basics. And I can't wait to see how this wraps up. Next up, we have Strange Adventures number eight, written by Tom King, with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Evan Shaner. Um, I love this book. I love this book. I love this book. It's so freaking good. Um, and we are entering the home stretch here. There's only, I think, four issues after this. So uh, things are starting to come to a head. And hopefully we're going to be getting some bombshells in this issue. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 8. The battle against the Picts continues. The Justice League, including Green Lantern, Dr. Fate, Batman, The Flash, Superman, and Wonder Woman has scattered across the Earth, pushing back the Marauders wherever they appear. Even Mr. Terrific takes a break from investigating Adam Strange's alleged war crimes to land a punch or two in their stupid alien faces. But Adam Strange has made his decision to save Ran at any price, even if that price is the Earth itself. So yeah, I'm very excited to see how this shakes out. We know that the invasion is coming. We just don't know what's going to happen or really what side Adam Strange is on. So definitely keep an eye out for this one. Next up, we have X-Men number 17. No, I'm not caught up. No, I don't know what's going on. But yes, I'm very excited about this book. I am very excited about this book, especially with how last issue ended. Uh, this is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Brett Booth. Brett Booth joining up with the series... Uh, for, I want to say, the foreseeable future. Um, we will just have to see, but very excited about this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Storm the Empire. When the Shia Empire asks the X-Men for help, Cyclops, Storm, and Marvel Girl answer the call. So yeah, um, this has given us three, a big three, if ever there was one cyclops storm and gene gray uh going up you know to see what's going on in space so i'm very excited about this should be a good time next up we have batman white knight presents harley quinn number four this is written by uh katana collins with art by mateo scalera I have been really digging this book, um, bringing back the Grey Ghost, having Starlet as this new villain for Harley. Uh, there's just a lot of plates spinning, and I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I don't think this is the final issue. I don't think so. I think there's at least one more, but I've been enjoying this a whole heck of a lot, and I am so excited to pick this issue up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Book four. Harley's pursuit of the Golden Age killer gets personal. Still in the fog of her discovery about Hector's obsession, she relives her darkest memory of Jack's transformation into the Joker, and her own early evolution into Harley Quinn. With Bruce's counsel, she grapples with the guilt of her past and makes a choice that sends her straight into Starlet in the producer's den, for an expertly staged showdown that will either crack the case or end her life. So yeah, um, really cool stuff. I will say I don't know how on board I am with all of the uh, changes to the Joker's origin. 
which I find a little bit strange, but overall, the book is super strong, and I'm really, really digging it, so definitely make sure you pick this up. Next up, we have Daredevil, number 26. Uh, this is written, of course, by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Mike Hawthorne and Marco Cicchetto. I love this. I love it so much. Um, but this does seem like uh, we are going to be taking away from our newest Daredevil, Electro, which I love, and kind of diving into King and in Black. It looks like this is going to be a two-part uh, King and in Black tie-in involving uh, Daredevil, which um, is very interesting. I'm They did show in King and Black that uh, that Elektra is the current Daredevil that is running around. So I'm interested to see if this is going to be Elektra-focused or if it's going to be focused on Matt in prison. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and just dive into the synopsis here. The Black Kitchen, part one. A devil consumed, Matt faces a darkness unlike any before. Meanwhile, Electra may be in over her head for the first time in her life. Daredevil must find the strength to continue the fight as all hell breaks loose. So it does look like it's going to be both of them, which I like. I really enjoy uh, this new role that Electra's found herself in. Um, so I'm looking forward to this for sure. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Future State Dark Detective number two. This is written, of course, by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Joshua Williamson. With art by Giannis Milonogiannis. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, and also art by Dan Mora as well. Um, I really dug Dark Detective number one. Uh, the look into Bruce Wayne, you know, where he's dealing with all of this. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to end up um, running into our other... Uh, Batman all over, you know, who's also running all over the place in, uh, in Gotham. Again, the timeline on this is a little, I don't know, a little weird, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it doesn't look like we're jumping back into the Matthew Rosenberg grifter just yet, but we are getting a Red Hood story by Joshua Williamson and his artist. I'm so, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to try that last name again. Um, but I really dug this, and I'm looking forward to issue two, so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Dark Detective, Chapter 2, slash Red Hood, Part 1. Bruce Wayne is supposed to be dead, but this Dark Detective is on the run and shining a light on the mystery of his own murder. How did the killers know Bruce Wayne was Batman? As the forces of the Magistrate zero in on Bruce's location, it's a race against time to unlock the secrets of their surveillance tech and take the fight to the very top. But is the knowledge that Bruce's own legacy helped to enable the greatest authoritarian force the city of Gotham has ever seen too much to bear? Also, in this issue, Jason Todd is a haunted man. He's working a job he hates on the violent streets of Gotham City as a mask hunter for the Magistrate. He takes contracts to catch villains, or heroes, and brings them in alive. Mostly. But when the Red Hood gang reemerges, Jason must solve a mystery that could doom the city. So, I 
I think it's really interesting that, um, at least so far, the magistrates, um, headhunters, mask hunters, uh, have looked very Arkham Knight-esque. So I've been wondering where Jason was, and I'm very excited to see where he ends up during this story. So that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Future State Suicide Squad number one, The Other History of the DC Universe number two, Future State Batman Superman number one, Strange Academy number seven, Future State Superman vs. Imperious Lex number one, Shang-Chi number five, Strange Adventures number eight, X-Men number 17, Batman White Knight Presents Harley Quinn number four, Daredevil number 26, and Future State Dark Detective number two. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geek Explained podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice. Also, I would love to get any uh, reviews, ratings from you as well on your particular podcasting platform uh subscriptions and ratings really do help out the podcast i know i say it every week but it really does help us out uh helps me out helps raise the stock of this podcast up and gets it out and into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you give us a five-star rating and review on itunes apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it uh i will read your uh review live on the podcast you can join the likes of our four horsemen that being seafire nd josh from panels to pixels matt draper and burrito man 88 want to say a big thank you to those four for their rating and review and i can't wait to see yours also if you want to keep up to date on the podcast, feel free to uh, follow us on social medias at Pod. That's at GeekSplainPod. Uh, that's where I post about the latest episode. I'll put up polls to decide future episodes and just overall just talking about stuff that I enjoy talking about. So make sure you follow us on there to keep up with all the happenings. And of course, if you would like to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, feel free to email me to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put the the subject header mailbag and i'll read it out on here if you have a question for me if you have an opinion if you have um uh you want a quick pitch uh if you would like to tell me your uh top 10 batman beyond episodes feel free to send that to me i'll read them out on here i would love to compare some lists uh in next week's episode so feel free to do that i would really enjoy it also a quick shout out to jason inman our guest from last week on getting his kickstarter for super best friend fully funded that is awesome um i believe they're on their way to hitting their second stretch goal as well. So uh, big thank you to all of you who participated in that. And I can't wait to read this comic. And that is pretty much going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, this has been an interesting week. Um, very, very interesting indeed. Uh, lots of um, changes going on. Uh, haven't really left the house in the <laughs> Uh, in the last uh, last few days at all and uh, it's been very gloomy very rainy uh, as I'm recording this you know we're supposed to be getting hit with some kind of winter storm here in LA so uh, we are hunkered down we are staying warm and we are trying to uh, socially distance and stay quarantined so um, 
yeah, I hope you all are doing well, staying safe and healthy. Um, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Again, let me know what you think about anything we talked about today. If you're enjoying WandaVision, if you uh, have your own list of favorite Batman Beyond episodes, have you watched Batman Beyond? If you've never watched Batman Beyond, I would love to get your opinion on what we talked about as well and um, what you think about the character. He's one of my favorites. I grew up with Batman Beyond. It was one of my favorite cartoons growing up, and it was something that I really identified with as a kid. So I love talking about it. Happy 22 years, Batman Beyond, and here is to many, many more. But uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Tune in next week for the very first episode of February. Year's already moving by pretty quick. I feel like this month kind of blazed by, so we are moving into February next week. Tune in for a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you.